From the boardroom to the break room, people are experiencing work culture. My name is Wade Billings, and this is Talking Culture. Join me and my guest, Lina Vasileva, as we discuss culture, climate, and the importance of being intentional when planning and creating culture. So grab your favorite beverage, get comfy, and join me for another intriguing episode of Talking Culture. And welcome to another episode of Talking Culture. Today, my guest is Lina Vasileva. I think I said that correctly. Yes. Lynn and I have recently uh, made our acquaintances. Uh, she is living in Bulgaria, and I am in Florida. So uh, we're doing a little bit of uh, time zone uh, sinking. It's very early where I am. I think it's mid-afternoon where you are. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate you coming on the podcast, uh, Lena. And uh, when we spoke earlier. Uh, you know, you had mentioned that you had uh, graduated and went into IT and then got into this this uh, wonderful thing that we call work culture and have made a little bit of a, 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 a living, a business out of it, which I'd love to explore as we get into the podcast. But first, of course, I've got my three questions, which are... Uh, questions to help the audience get to know you a little bit better, and plus myself. Um, so if you're ready, we'll go. Yes, sure. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lena, what, what brings you joy? Music. Wonderful. Any yes. music in particular? Um lots of types we joke my husband and I that we're together because we're the only two people who listen to this exact spectrum of music styles <laughs> no <laughs> one else understands us but a mixture of um, electronic music um, jazz um, rock um, metal just a lot of things but um, anything that has bass what an eclectic blend you just threw out there Jazz to metal to, um, I think we have similar tastes. The only musical genres that I am not a big fan of are American bluegrass. Although recently I've heard some bluegrass that isn't half bad. Okay. Um, and speed metal. Although I think we have a friend in common, um, or at least the person that introduced yeah, me to you yeah. who is very much in a you know in one of those edgier type of bands and uh you know i i actually enjoy the music that they put out but um having that eclectic blend of music in your life uh hopefully you have a, a lot of opportunity to feel joy listening to that yeah yeah well a, a decent amount but uh you know Crate digging, you you yeah. find if if you're looking for interesting stuff, you'll find it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, my next question is: When did you first become aware of this thing that we call work culture? Um, it was at a a job um, where I was just 
fresh out of maternity leave and maternity leave is super long in Bulgaria. It's, uh, I took two years off with my first child and I could have done three years mm. <laughs> just wow. so you get an idea. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And I, I, I found a job which, um, matched what I wanted to do. I was doing customer success management. Uh, it was a, there was technology in, uh, in the responsibilities. So I could keep in touch with like doing hands-on stuff around data analytics and other bits and pieces. And, um, I, I, there were, was, uh, development opportunity so okay. i could learn about agile scrum everything was was great the people were great right. i love the people but i felt terrible at that job and mm. uh it, it was um one of those experiences that teaches you some things about yourself and also about uh where you can exist as a person professionally and right. in, in what circumstances you, you can't. And this is exactly what culture means to me. It's this combination of uh, work conditions that either um, make you feel at home at a job or make you feel like you can't possibly spend another day here. Wow. Those are two very, very polar opposite feelings. <laughs> It's a spectrum, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. Okay. Uh, and then my final question, and we'll get into uh, the the meat of the topic, is when was the last time that you felt a sense of thriving? Um, th when I, I I associate this the sense of, of thriving as an uh, the, the experience of being able to help someone grow. So, uh, when you have someone who's struggling with something and they need to move past an obstacle or solve a problem and you help them figure things out, that's when I feel like I'm thriving. I know a little bit of it feels like meddling sometimes, but when I hear someone <laughs> say, well, because of that conversation we had with you, we finally got around to getting a babysitter and going out as a couple once a right. month. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and that's my sense of thriving. I'm like, I influenced someone to do something that's good for them. <laughs> I love that you, that you tie, you know, influencing and helping people with your sense of thriving. That is, uh, I think that's, that speaks volumes about the kind of person that you are. Um, cause I've spoken with people who, you know, say I'm thriving when I'm, you know, on the basketball court and I'm, you know, making three pointers or I'm thriving when I've, uh, made a huge sale or whatever, you know, something, you know, it's, it's different for everybody. It, um, it is, yeah, but maybe it's because I was terrible at uh, gym class in school. I was always <laughs> the last one to get picked for anyone's mm. team after after the fat kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's how bad I am at basketball or volleyball or other ball sports. <laughs> it, it sounds like we have some other things in common then. Yeah, my, I, I was not, you know, athletically inclined. I was always uh, part of associations and clubs that would get you beat up on the playground, you know, math club, science. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, my, my little group at, at, uh, 
at recess would be talking about, you know, space or airplanes while everybody else was playing some sort of sports ball. So yeah, thriving with a ball. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and us just running our mouths. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's it's worked out for us, I guess. Exactly. So, yeah. Different people, different talents. Exactly. Well, Lena, thank you again for sharing all that. Um, I know that those questions can oftentimes, you know, uh, get into a little bit more personal details, but I appreciate you uh, sharing uh, what you did share. So kind of building on that. And one of the reasons, again, I think that um, the person that introduced me to you thought that, you know, this would be a, a, a great opportunity for two like minds to meet um, is really based around the work that you're doing currently. So I know that, you know, you graduated uh, with a, with a degree in psychology uh, and then you went into it. So help me and the audience kind of understand that, that origin story there. How did you end up in it? And then what brought you to, work culture and the study and, and research of that? Um, so I've been asking myself that question a lot throughout the years because initially it's just I was a, a student that needed some income. Mm. <laughs> uh, so I, I found a job in IT because I could practice English and potentially other foreign languages. I could right. work night shifts so that I could go to lectures during the day. Uh, so it was a, a bit of an opportunistic decision at first, but a year or so into the my web hosting technical support job, I was offered to become a, a headhunter, a recruiter. Okay. And I had to choose between doing that and remaining in IT. And I was like, <laughs> I want to remain in IT. It's fun here. <laughs> I like the people. I like that we're solving problems. So I think right. initially the 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 thing that kept me there in IT was the 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 sense of fulfillment of um, constantly having different problems that I had to solve. And then um, later on, I found that most of the problems did not require a technical solution the really complicated problems it right. wasn't a, it wasn't something that you had to grow your technical skills to like a, yeah an, a, a, a very big level and become super proficient in order to be able to solve the problem it was about having um a conversation about uh, working with others um possibly addressing cultural aspects of the technology adoption in order yeah. to solve the problem, and um, I, I got into I got interested in culture when I started doing uh, leadership roles. Okay, and uh, I thought uh, a, a better understanding of culture and um, management was going to be um, crucial if I wanted to be more successful as a leader. So I started reading books, talking to management consultants. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got uh, certified as an emotional intelligence practitioner as uh, um, a, a topic that is part of culture because the way we feel at, at work is something that's very closely related to culture. And now I'm still juggling technology and psychology <laughs> um, <laughs> in a sense because I'm, I'm still... Um, 
working to help technical uh, technological companies to operationalize what they do to improve their uh, services, their um, customer experience and um, other aspects of how they deliver value through technology. And I also work with non-technical businesses to help them figure out this whole uh, company identity, company culture, principles, values, and how to implement them in day-to-day life. Wow, that's quite quite the journey that you just took us on. Um, very intriguing for me because I, you know, I've I've spent most of my career in IT, and recently in the last you know ten fifteen years, if that's recent, um, in leadership, um, and I became you know aware of culture in, in much the same way it sounds like you did. In I always knew that culture existed. Uh, you know, you get more than three people together and a culture starts to form. Um, but I don't really pay attention to it until I got into leadership and went, oh, this is this is important. Right. Um, one thing that, that you and I spoke about earlier is that you helped a barber shop determine or not. I don't say I want to determine, but with with creating its culture yeah crystallizing the 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 culture that already existed maybe putting it into words making it more um clear to communicate among each other with customers and also with new employees okay so i mean a barbershop is decidedly non-technical uh maybe as non-technical as one might get um and i had again never really thought about culture in that context of a barbershop. Um, could you kind of take me through how that came to be and and what that sort of looked like working with that, that team? It's um, it, it wasn't something that we formally had agreed to do. It was a very interesting journey because um, I met the the main man behind the barber shop. I think I don't know, possibly twelve years ago. Uh, that's when he gave me my first haircut (laughs) with him and uh we accidentally met at another uh barber shop uh i I think a year or two later and Mm -hmm. uh, i started visiting him regularly and then when he um moved on to create his own barber shop i was like i want to support you i want to wait for you to to build this and be one of your customers and um, he he went on to create something that is different from uh, your regular barbershop. He wanted to give people energy and mm. harmony and um, a, a different kind of experience. So you go there and you unload all of your stress and your worries. It's not about getting a haircut. It's not about changing the color of your hair, you get a massage, you get aromatherapy, you get a drink, you get uh, raw nuts and raw fruit because this is healthy and it's helping you be harmonious with nature. Wow. Like he he will be there barefoot <laughs> walking around <laughs> and he has very high standards so that he can create this amazing customer experience. So it was difficult for him to find people that he can work with. Because yeah. 
in his head he's like we're looking for uh, uh an assistant uh for for the barber shop mm-hmm. and people were like how much are you paying and right. he tells them the salary and they're like hmm, okay i can give this a go it's a good salary right but then if they're not sharing the values that he has it seems like a lot of work for them for right uh, an amount of money that they can make elsewhere. So I was like, you're not looking for an assistant. You're looking for someone who shares the same values, who wants to create a different kind of experience for the customer, right. who, who wants to be harmonious, uh, who will be looking to create excellence even when no one is watching. Give all that that this person has to offer even when no one is supervising them and by crystallizing uh, these values it became easier to figure out if if this person would fit in in this barber shop which is like a family or or if they would feel as if it's a lot of work for a salary that I can get elsewhere, yeah, maybe doing night shifts in a 24-7 cigarette shop, you know, but it's the same right. kind of money. <laughs> that's amazing. That, that that's not a barber shop. That that's a that's like a, like a health spa that you yeah, just happen yeah. to get a haircut at. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. You literally go there and after that you feel you feel like you've you've lost your stress and your worries. Well I could uh Definitely use that. Uh, you know, I go to my barber. In fact, this weekend I went and got a haircut and, you know, I was in 20 minutes later, I was out and I still had the same stretches. I had just less hair. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting is, is that there are cultures that the barbershop is like that, right? I mean, it's, it's a, there is a community that's built there. You sit down in the barber you know, in the chair and the person cutting your hair starts to become somewhere between a therapist and a confidant and, you know, uh, a, a hairdresser. Yeah. And uh, so it sounds like this person has taken that maybe to the next couple of levels. And, uh, you know, like you say, you, you go there to, rid yourself of your stresses as well as some of your hair so yeah yeah and and he amazing. tells he tells his co-workers they're like a a, a family like right. a, an, an italian restaurant of sorts and he tells <laughs> them we don't make people's dreams come true we give them energy so that right. they can make their dreams come true i love that i love that um so that's interesting that he uh, wanted to create this culture. Sounds like he had a very clear vision of the culture that he wanted to create. Uh, I one of my theses that I'm I'm working on throughout my research is that organizations often have or have start start out with a clear vision of the culture they want to create, and usually it comes from uh, you know, the, the founder or founders of the organization or, or people that were, you know, there early on. And either they explicitly or implicitly agree upon what their culture is going to be. But very few actually write it down and really think through it. Um, what has been your experience as you've worked with organizations and people 
around culture? Do you see a lot of them taking the time to documenting it and and really spending time to be intentional and deliberate about it? Or do you see it more just kind of happening organically or somewhere in between? It's, I think it's somewhere in between. So there's uh, two elements to culture. There's what is happening uh, and how culture manifests itself in the workplace. And then there's the documented culture on the website, on your slides and other company materials. And I've seen um, a lot of companies like <laughs> get generic uh, cultural values and put them on the website and yep. now they do it with the chat gpt sometimes like i'm doing a company that's going to produce this and deliver this kind of service or product uh, what uh, i like this and that what are my values right um and uh it's it's interesting because i've seen um companies with like four or five people and there's a, a common area where they meet Mm -hmm. where their values meet and things that they want to see at their workplace are the same. And then there's also areas where they digress from, right. from, from this core. So I recently did an exercise for one company where I took a list of 30 values and got uh, the five founders and the first two employees to vote and rank uh, five out of these 30 in a one to five ranking. So in the end, you don't just get the five values that intersect between these seven people, but you get them with the additional dimension of ranking. So you get the, the ones that were ranked on top. And we it was an interesting exercise to see initially what was put around slides and documents and then how much of that made it into the ranking and how much of that didn't. So customer centricity and excellence, for example, didn't. Interesting. And continuous learning also also didn't because uh, other things were, um, were were a priority for people. Uh, but at the same time, there was um, being autonomous was a yeah. value that remained. And uh, then I, I, I did this exercise of checking the different meanings of uh, being autonomous. And there are different phases in philosophy where different um philosophers dwelt on the term of being autonomous uh, and it has an individualistic element being independent but it also has the self-development like maslow kind of uh, self-actualization <laughs> meaning where autonomous means you self-develop and grow and i'm like okay so if we picked autonomous mm -hmm. then uh, we can say um be autonomous is is about growth because we're um we're learning to be autonomous we're helping others others to learn to be autonomous right so autonomy if i if i hear what you're saying correctly um autonomy is not somewhat of an intrinsic sort of thing it doesn't just happen right it is something that's deliberate and that you yeah. have to learn 
um, on both sides of that. I have to learn how to be autonomous and somebody else needs to learn how to help me be autonomous. Yeah. Instead of like when you, for example, we're coworkers and you need help with something. If I don't have this um, autonomy as a cultural value, um, I can just go and help you uh, by doing it for you. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm struggling to write this script. And I'll be like, I have a, a script that I've already written. Here, go ahead. Right. When you're working with organizations, or I should ask, have you worked with organizations, uh, Lita, that uh, have a blended cultural family from, say, Europe, other European countries, uh, European countries and America or Latin America, or, I mean, international uh, workforce. Have you worked with those kind of or- those large organizations? Yes. Okay. Yes, I've worked with Europe, um, the Americas, North and uh, South America. I've worked with uh, Brazil. Um, and also with, uh, uh, from, from Asia, mostly with India. So is the concept of autonomy and, or the value and an importance assigned to autonomy, have you seen variations between those different cultures? For autonomy specifically, uh, no, uh, but just reading through the history of philosophy and how philosophy defined autonomy in, in different ages of, of the world's history was a very interesting exercise because if you um, create your values as just a single word, right, you, you risk a misinterpretation based on the different um, national cultures that people will just always bring to their workplace. It's their uh, paradigm of uh, interpreting the world. Right. And also the there's a, um, another thing that can twist the meaning of a cultural value, and that's the climate. So the kind of uh, thing that you're, you're experiencing at the moment as a company. I am so br- glad you brought that word up. I've been waiting to get there. Um, so again, in our previous discussion, you brought up this concept of climate, and that that set my brain on fire because, um, and you started, you know, in, in our previous discussion, you started to get into what climate was as it related to culture, um, and I would love to kind of get back into that with you. So what is this thing you call climate and how does it relate to culture uh, from your experience in your practice? So there's um, two, there's, there's two aspects of how climate can manifest. Uh, one is the, um, the aspect of the leader that a team has. So the subculture of a particular team in the company um, has a climate that is largely created by the leader of that team. Okay. So the way the leader interprets the, the cultural values is going to create a climate. So for example, to me, teamwork may, may mean that uh, everyone is good at a different thing. So uh, we are going to uh, give this task to that person because they're proficient in that 
area and they have autonomy to do this according to their expertise and then the other task will go to another and and so on and then as a team we're going to deliver something that is of high quality because individual members have different talents that we're going to um to take advantage of or for someone else teamwork may mean uh we're making decisions on a democratic principle so whether or not you're proficient in this area or not we're going mm-hmm. to vote whether we like the result of tom who is actually the expert in this okay so teamwork is going to be a cultural value in both of these scenarios but the way the leader interprets the term teamwork is going to create a different climate for teamwork to manifest itself in okay Thank you very much for that explanation. That that helps greatly. So, uh, climate for for my simple brain, it's climate equals the interpretation of culture by the leader, and and then acting upon that interpretation to create a climate for my people to work within. Is that? Is that a yeah? Yeah. A so, fair... so that's, that's one one of the, the uh, agents that can create the climate is okay. the leader. The other agent is the particular circumstances in which the company is uh, existing in at the moment. So, for example, if a company is going through a very tough period, for example, your business just got terribly hit by the lockdowns and the pandemic. Right. So uh, I've been in a in a company where we had four values. We um, we deliver, we lead, we belong, and we learn. And uh, when the pandemic hit, we were like, we we're gonna have to deliver, lead, and belong, but we're not gonna have a lot of time for learning <laughs> because we're going to try and focus all of our energy on doing these other things that we're good at. Right. That's, I like those, those four, that those, those, uh, they, they, they capture, you know, different aspects and, and make this whole, now make this whole picture, uh, in my mind, as far as, uh, kind of almost, a a, a a cycle, right? We, we deliver and we, we learn from that and through learning and helping each other, we, we create a sense of belonging. Um, and we become the market leader. <laughs> there you go, and become the market leader. I love it. And the circle is complete. Um, I think right now it's, it's a good time to take a break. And then after the break, I'd like to come back and talk through uh, a little bit more about how you've seen maybe the different roles participating in culture, um, you know, leader and, and individual contributor and uh, you know, kind of break it down to see how those different roles um, impact and influence culture from your your experience, and then uh, hopefully give our audience some actionable things that they can do in order to either influence or or change the culture that they're they're working in in a positive way. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's take, take a break and let our sponsors do what they do. And we'll see you on the other side.
a great break. I'm glad we had it. So as I mentioned uh, right before we took it, um, let's talk about the different uh, roles within an organization. Um, I mentioned leader. I mentioned individual contributor. There are many more roles that are in there. Coach is a, a role. And, or subject um, matter experts. Subject matter experts. So in your experiences, uh, Lena, how do those – maybe the question I want to ask is what roles have you seen have had the greatest impact on culture, if that's a thing, <laughs> uh, and or um, when working with different roles, do you, how do you how do you uh, uh, adjust your approach and uh, you know perspective with them because uh, we all have different roles to play inside of the culture. Um, so I think there's a question in there somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, to kind of tell me working with different roles and how you uh, adjust your approach with them. I I want to first um, talk about the fact that uh, everyone who speaks and acts in an outgoing fashion is an agent of the culture. Uh, whether uh, they're an agent that is propagating that culture or an, an agent that is maybe challenging the values of that culture will depend on how they're acting. Um, the only people who I don't see um, being that strong agents for or against the culture are the people who tend to keep more quiet. But okay. the, even these people, they will do things that um, make a, a bang or a splash. They may write a blog post or they may um, create a, a technological solution or, or something else that will speak volumes again for or against the values of that culture. So everyone is an agent and um, whether um, you're a leader, an individual contributor or a subject matter expert, if you're an outgoing person who voices their opinions a lot, you're going to be one of the primary agents that influences the culture and the subculture of the team. Thank you very much for, for saying you, you articulated it far better than I ever could. So uh, everyone is an agent, uh, and whether you are uh, outwardly out, yeah, outwardly or or uh, in an extroverted fashion, uh, acting, or whether you're doing it, sub, you know, I, I won't say sub, uh, being subvertive about it, but but you know, you're you're doing it uh, quieter. Uh, you are influencing culture. How does that, I guess, how does that influence the climate? Because, I, you know, you mentioned that everything is influencing climate, whether it be people or... or circumstances. Circumstances, right. Yeah. Um, do, do people... Uh, Lita, that you found, are they aware that they're influencing the climate? I think very often they're not. Uh, I think very often uh, they're thinking 
about it as I'm expressing myself. Right. And that's a, a very interesting element to existing in an organization of any sort. That um, if you don't have a sense of belonging or if, if you don't have a very big match between your personal values and the values of this organization, then at some point um, you're going to get maybe passive aggressive, maybe active ag aggressive in asserting yourself and expressing your, your own values because it's I think it's a human necessity to um, to be seen as an individual. Right. In, in, in an organization. But no, I, I don't think they, they, they do that knowingly. And I, I just want to give an example of um, one of the elements to culture, because today organizations define their cultural values in the sense uh, that they have to be clear to both customers and future employees. Mm. So they're a mixture of how we're going to uh, do the, the job that we're hired to do. Right. But also, uh, how do we treat each other inside this company? Right. And sometimes uh, companies focus a lot on the internal uh, relationship element of, of the culture. Sometimes they don't. And when when they don't, this is the culture becomes very uh, susceptible to agents who, um, if they express themselves uh, very openly, may change the, the, the way the culture works. I'll give you an example. Um, you have a new colleague. Uh, so far, you've been like four people at this team, and now you have a fifth colleague, right. and you get to work, and um, this colleague wants to listen to a different radio station. Right. So how are you going to solve that debate? Is that person going to be like, okay, let's listen to your radio station today and my mm -hmm. radio station tomorrow? Or are they going to become bitchy about it? Are right. they going to go and tell your boss? Uh, or are they... Uh, going to be bratty about it and be like um why don't you put this radio station and like give you the the number the megahertz number of radio station that's completely obscene <laughs> just to test you see if you figure out what they've asked you to do ah look what i made you do right <laughs> uh yeah being a little bit passive aggressive about it uh interesting so in that in that example um, you know, two people are wanting to get what they want. Um, and you're, you know, you're suggesting that it is a cultural, uh, uh, happening. Um, that's probably a bad word, but you know, uh, the culture of the, of the environment, uh, will influence and, and guide and support or reject that interaction. Yeah. So uh, let, let me give you an example. The barber shop, yes. uh, they have a cultural value which says harmony gives you strength. Mm. So uh, if you have a conflict at the workplace, you're going to be like, okay, if we're not in a harmony, this weakens both of us. Right. So we're going to have to find a harmonious way to solve this problem. So maybe it's going to be uh, 
a balance between what you want for a few hours and then what I want for the next few hours. Or maybe the harmony is finding a third radio station that both of us like. Or the co- the company culture of another company that I work with is um, we uh, speak honestly, act with fairness. Okay. And when you have a cultural value like this, this means that if you have a conflict like that about the radio station, you'll be like, you'll be honest with the other person uh, that, sorry, I don't like this radio station. I don't like the music here. Uh, But it's also not fair for me to be like, I don't like this. So it's going to be what what I say and nothing else. So again, you're going to have to find something that is fair to everyone but you're going to honestly communicate. You you have to be honest if you don't like something. Right, right. You have to be participatory, right? It's yeah. Um. So, I would I would wrap a lot of what we just talked about, uh, in the in the concept of emotional intelligence, right? Having mm-hmm. people who, you know, going back to the barbershop, right? Uh, if if I might be so bold as to say the, you know, the owner and, and leader of that barbershop is really looking for people with a high emotional intelligence uh, because, you know, I would, I would theorize that if, if you have a high emotional intelligence, concepts of harmony and of compromise and of empathy um, you know, are, are easy, I won't say easy to come by, but, you know, are, are, are considered. Whereas if you don't have a high emotional intelligence, you're probably not going to be very, very, you know, happy working there. Um, because it's going to be taxing for you and, and difficult. Yeah. And it's good that you mentioned that in the specific context of the barbershop, because uh, this barbershop uh, has trainings on communication skills, on Mm. giving feedback, on emotional intelligence. Uh, He works with the people in his team uh, to, to speak to a therapist if they need to. So he promotes uh, the the journey of of self growth and self development and self actualization, so that you you have the capacity to provide quality customer service. Because uh, we 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 all know that uh, we have limited capacity, and we can only give where when we're at the balanced state. Right, right. It's uh, it's hard to give and take and and find harmony when you're not in a good place exactly exactly so you have to take care of yourself first you have to work on yourself in order to be in a position to be to be giving this energy and this calmness to your customers and then we shouldn't forget that culture is how we do what we do Right. So there are particular types of businesses where the essence of what the business is doing is going to be determining the culture. So if you're an accounting company, then you have you have to be very strict. You have to be timely. Uh, failure and mistakes are are not tolerated. 
uh, and it's not about being creative and brainstorming solutions. It's a very precise type of business. So you're probably not going to have creativity as one of your cultural values. Probably not. Uh, Yeah, in fact, creative accounting will land you in jail. At at the same time, there's this joke where an accountant is applying for a job and on the interview, the interviewer asks, how much is two plus two? And the accountant says, how much do you want it to be? (laughs) And he's hired. So, (laughs) And you're you're hired. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I can imagine that uh, I've never worked at an accounting firm, Uh, you know. Uh, the 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 picture I have in my mind is office parties are fairly dull and uh, very by the clock, right? It's it set to start at five and end at six, and it does, right? Yeah, and, and and if you're a person who has different personal values, who's not very precise or timely, uh, and uh, who, uh, for example, I'm not a person you can give a task to, and I just need to execute one, two, three, four, five. I, I right. will, I will be bored, and I will make mistakes. And I will not be the person for this job. You know, yeah. Give me something to invent yeah. <laughs> and be creative about, and then I'll I'll deliver. <laughs> we'll look at this. Um, let's kind of move into uh, what people can can do. Um, like I said, the part of this podcast, the reason I, I started the podcast was one to have an, an open and 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 honest and holistic discussion around work culture, because I don't think it's a topic that gets nearly enough uh, examination. Uh, You know, there are a lot of books and TED Talks and blog postings that include the concept of culture, but usually, you know, as a, you know, a a sub theme or or tangentially, right? Um, And I think you know, for me, that's that's doing it a disservice because it is it's it is so important. It does have so much influence in how people um, are feeling and if they're thriving or not, or if they're um, feeling a sense of of belonging or meaning uh, or even being seen by by others. That's all wrapped up in culture. So what are some things, not to ask you to give free advice, but what are some things that people can do that can help influence or impact the culture that they're in, hopefully in a very positive way? What are what are some tangible things that people can do from, from your experience on that? Um, well, one of the thing is if, if someone knowingly or unknowingly is, is changing the climate uh, of, of the culture. They're making remarks or jokes that are against what you have defined as values. Give feedback. Mm. They, they may not be doing it on purpose. Um, they may not realize um, that they're breaking the rules or uh, they may be checking if the limits that the culture has created are actual limits or if they can trespass. Okay. 
because uh, uh, we're like we're like children. You tell a child, "Don't do this," and a small child uh, will will test it out. Right. Yeah. Don't put it in your mouth. The first thing I'm going to do is put it in my mouth. Exactly. <laughs> we we are human after all, right? And yeah. We, we like to test limits. So yeah. you're saying give feedback, be active. Uh, what if somebody, you know, giving feedback is, is sometimes difficult, especially if it's critical. Yeah. Um, so what are some suggestions you have for getting into the mindset of being able to give critical feedback and, and not feel like you're just picking nits on people? Well, something that helps me a lot is I overthink for a few days. <laughs> it sounds weird. It helps me to overthink for a few days. But uh, honestly, uh, I have to figure out why something made me feel the way that it made me feel mm. so that I can communicate it clearly. For example, uh, the rule number one about giving feedback is that uh, it should not be personal. Like right. you're not a very uh, outgoing person. You're not very assertive or, or things like that. That's a personal right. attack on character. And you, you, you don't want to do that. You want to address a specific behavior. Like um, when, when you interrupt me on, on meetings, I, I feel like you don't care for my opinion. Right. You, that's may not be your intention, but that's how it made me feel. Right. So you have to figure out how did it make me feel? What exactly, what part of it made me feel the way that it did? And and really rehearse it, find the right moment to say it. I've sometimes spent hours working towards building the necessary comfort zone in a conversation with a person, the necessary trust to put feedback on top of because if we're not in, in a good relationship at the moment uh, the feedback's probably not going to fly right. <laughs> it's not going right. to land well yeah. <laughs> it does yeah, uh, so find a, a moment when you feel like the person can really listen to you right uh, so you, you've invested some time into that relationship because um, one of the biggest risks of, of, of feedback is that you're you're taking a risk on the relationship. So the more effort you put into making sure that the other person understands that this is a relationship that is important to you, the less of a risk that they're going to see you giving feedback as an attack that uh, you're doing on purpose to destroy the relationship or to hurt them. So build the relationship and focus on behaviors and not personality traits. Uh, so something that I've found helps people is uh, if you're saying you are, yeah. <laughs> you're talking about a personality characteristic. If you're saying you did, then you're talking about a behavior. Got it. Uh very important point. I'm glad you made it. Is you know separate the person from the behavior, and and you know talk about the behavior and uh, not the person. Um, yeah. I also find that asking is it okay if I provide you with feedback? It, yes, absolutely. And the other thing you need to separate is the intent from the behavior because mm. in our heads we. Uh, different people will react to the same, the exact same situation in different ways because we interpret it in different ways. Right. 
and and the person acted on uh, an intention that is not necessarily known to us and right. more often than not it's not a malicious intent true uh, i don't think i've encountered many people in my uh career that were malicious malicious uh intentionally right there's usually a um a misunderstanding or or a miscue or or a coping uh, mechanism that exactly. has helped them throughout the years but in that particular case it's creating negative emotions in someone it's else not helping yeah absolutely <laughs> um one of the other things i think that that uh, i had written down here is um can a person or i mean maybe as a leader uh, or an influencer of culture, um, you know, do a formal or informal polling of their um, their colleagues to see how how they are perceiving culture. I mean, I think just establishing that culture is a thing, and culture is a thing that we are aware of, and that we're uh, being purposeful and intentional in forming and and curating and encouraging um i think it's actually a huge step forward right just just getting it out there getting people talking about it and participating in it yeah um, so we've done exercises where we've asked people, give me examples where we demonstrated this value. And then right. we also said, give me examples where we completely neglected this value, where, where, where we acted out of, out of character, uh, uh, you know, according to the values that we've defined. And that was a very interesting exercise. And the other thing that I would like people to, enc to encourage people to think about is, uh, the fact that it, a culture is like a personality of an organization and mm -hmm. the personality develops over time based on the different things that we experience. So if you've been a small company of 10 people with this set of company values, now you're a company of 200 people with this set of values, you've probably been at a place where speed and agility were of the essence and now you you, you need to do more around stability and, and discipline so you you have to transform this culture according to the phase of of development of of the company so the culture has to be revisited um during times of major change whether you're releasing a new product or something has like the product has matured reached an, this number of customers or some other milestone that you will know yeah. and then you drop elements of the culture you introduce new elements you change oh that that idea of cultural evolution uh i love it because not only do companies oftentimes not plan their culture or define it or document it. They don't think about how it needs to evolve and grow and change. Um, and because it's going to, it's going to grow and evolve <laughs> and change. Now you can either, you can either do it organically or it can do it, uh, you know, with, with intelligence and guidance behind it, but it is going to grow and evolve and change. And, and it may not be, where you want it to go, 
growing and evolving and changing. So yeah, it's, it's exactly like we mentioned the the coping mechanisms. Yeah. Like the culture has an element of the personalities of the co-founders, yeah. but it's also a set of coping mechanisms like the, the the speed and agility and, and, and things like that, it may evolve to become something else. We have to drop things that no longer work for us. Yep, absolutely. Well, Lena, it's, Lena, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for, for your time and your wisdom and your expertise around this topic. I've learned a great deal. Uh, hopefully uh, our listeners have as well. Are there any things that you want to plug? I know you're involved in an organization that is focused on culture and, or a company. Or, I mean, if somebody wants to reach out to you and say, hey, we'd like to know more about your services, how would they get in touch with you? Um, you can message me um, over LinkedIn. I, I, I really want to thank you for the opportunity to discuss the, this topic because um, it's very it's very important for me that people find um, happiness yeah. <laughs> and, and positive emotions at their workplace. And this is very much dependent on culture and how we do what we do. So uh, the more people understand about what what kind of cultures they can fit in, what are their core work-related values, uh, how to find an employer that matches those. Uh, the, the, the more intelligence we build around these things, the more people are going to feel happy at work because uh, we saw in the last few years something that is a, a amazing and, and unexpected in a way. The great resignation, the yeah. quiet quitting, these are all symptoms of how work is changing for us and we want more. We yeah. want more of this work relationship. We want to feel accepted. We want to feel like we're given a sense of meaning, a sense of belonging. So um, I, I'm really happy that you're doing this this podcast and I'd, I'd love to talk more. <laughs> Uh, as would I. I will put your LinkedIn information in the the episode notes so people can reach out to you and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, continue the conversation in that manner. Uh, but again, my heartfelt thanks to you for spending time with me uh, and talking about this important topic. Um, I would love to know if your your barbershop friend is thinking about franchising you know, because uh, we could use what they're doing over there, over here. I'll tell you that much. Uh, so thank you again. And uh, let's go ahead and wrap up for, uh, for this episode. Thank you. You're welcome.